Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Over the past few episodes, Bishop has been breaking down the four marks of the church. They may sound familiar from the creed, one, holy, Catholic, and apostolic. This week, the series wraps up with Bishop talking about the fourth mark, apostolic. Find out about the different dimensions of the word and how all the marks are connected. Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I'm Kyle Hyman here with our good bishop, wrapping up our discussion on the four marks of the church. Thanks for being here, Bishop. You're welcome, Kyle. Today, we're going to be talking about apostolic. And one of the things that we read as a staff with Spoke Street is from Christendom to apostolic mission. Mm-hmm. Are you familiar with that? I book? am. Yes, I've read Shea it. It's excellent. Yeah, University excellent book. Any takeaways from that or... Well, I really like it because it kind of is saying that we're more in a situation today like the apostles were, like mm-hmm. the early church, the challenges that we face, especially in evangelization, in a culture that is very much post-Christian, secularized, etc. So Christendom, that was a time when Christianity reigned prevalent even yeah. in government. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there was the church structures, the church was very well established, and, you know, it it was, the gospel was very much enculturated. Now, it wasn't a perfect society by any means, but now we're in a new situation, more akin to what the early church experienced. I think we can learn so much from, for example, the Acts of the Apostles and the early centuries of the church that we're called to mission, okay? Mm -hmm. We're we're in a de-Christianized culture, not totally de-Christianized, but certainly year after year, it's becoming, in a sense, less Christian. So our strategies need to be different, the way in which we live the gospel and spread the gospel. Yeah, I think that was one of the big takeaways for me is even, you know, the last hundred years, but like you said, every year it kind of seems more prevalent. Like what worked a couple decades ago might not work today because our society has changed so much and, and being aware of that. I think a lot of times I'll think of like, well, this worked for me when I was a kid. Like, what? It, certainly, we should use the same strategies. My children realizing they're in a different world, and exactly, and our youth ministry, especially, needs to evolve. Just technology. Yeah, I mean, huge change. You know, but also even in family life. You know, sure. when I was young, marriage was still pretty strong in the sense that most young people got married, did not cohabitate often would have many children open to life, et cetera. Well, there's been a steep decline in marriages in our country right. and in other Western countries. You know, so even that stability of family life isn't there in many places. So again, it kind of says we can't just presume, for example, that children are being raised in the faith or have a mother and father at home, et cetera. So all of this within the topic of apostolic mission, which is, I feel like now we're talking, we're talking about the end of the conversation of where this goes. So now maybe to open up the, the meaning of that, at what does it mean to be apostolic? We talked about the church being one holy Catholic, but we did an episode on each of those. People should check it out if you missed any of those. The fourth mark that we recite in the creed, one holy Catholic apostolic church. Yeah. What does the word apostolic mean? 
Well, it obviously refers to the apostles and the word Greek word apostolos, apostle, means one sent. So the apostles were those chosen by Jesus and then sent by Jesus mm. to preach, to sanctify, and to lead his church. So there's three senses, three ways in which we could say the church is founded on the apostles. Number one, you know, it is, as I just mentioned, it's at the very origin of the church. The church was built on the foundation of the apostles. Hmm. By the way, that's right out of St. Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 2, verse 20, speaks of the foundation of the apostles. So this is how Christ established his church. This is at its very origin. But the second way is that the church is apostolic in her teaching because our teaching is the same as that of the apostles. It's what we call the deposit of faith, the apostolic tradition, the apostolic teaching. And therefore, with the help of the Holy Spirit in the church, the church keeps and hands on the teaching of the apostles. Okay, the, the deposit of faith, what the apostles heard themselves from Jesus. And, of course, we know in, for example, the New Testament. I mean, that's the apostolic teaching right mm -hmm. there. Yeah. And so, for example, we read the Sermon on the Mount. We read all the different parables of Jesus. We read teachings of St. Paul, who was an apostle, though he wasn't one of the 12, he was an apostle, all his letters. So the New Testament contains, you know, most of this apostolic teaching handed on to us. So that's the second sense, teaching. So origin, apostolic origin, mm -hmm. apostolic teaching. And the third is apostolic structure. Hmm. So our structure, okay, the apostles were, as I mentioned, the chief teachers. They baptized, okay, they celebrated the Eucharist, they anointed the sick, okay, so they forgave sins in Christ's name. All of these things, and they governed, they led the church, they were the leaders. So that is the church's structure, and that continues through the successors of the apostles. So we call it the apostolic succession. And the successors of the apostles are the bishops. Mm -hmm. And this is by divine will. This is divine law. This isn't something that the church just thought up to do. No, this is divinely constituted. The church is divinely constituted. So you have the apostles and their successors, the bishops, and of course, the head of the apostles, the successor of St. Peter, and then his successors, mm -hmm. the popes. So apostolic succession is transmitted through the sacrament of holy orders. So the mission and the power of the apostles is handed on, transmitted to their successors, to the bishops. And this is what keeps the church in communion of faith and life with her origin. This keeps us in communion of faith and life with our origin. And so through the centuries, the church carries on 
her apostolate for the spread of the kingdom of Christ on earth. How do we know that Jesus intended for there to be apostolic succession, that he, he intended this to, I, I guess, first of all, to grow beyond 12, and second of all, for them to continue to be replaced when they, before they die? That's a very good question. Before that, I would say also, remember, this is Christ's teaching and authority that he gives his own, this authority that he has to his, the apostles. So right. I think that's important. Jesus said, as the Father sent me, so I send you. Mm -hmm. He said, he who listens to you listens to me. Mm -hmm. So they're really continuing the mission of Jesus. And Jesus's mission came from the Father. But remember, Jesus promised to remain with us always. Mm -hmm. And so that divine mission that Jesus entrusted to them is to continue after them. I mean, Jesus said, I will be with you until the end of time. So that's why the apostles were very careful to appoint successors. Mm -hmm. And we see that in the New Testament itself. We see, for example, St. Paul giving authority, setting up his, he had his, his legates, his co-workers' legates like St. Timothy and St. Mm -hmm. Titus that would continue what he was doing, his mission, after Paul's death. So that was right. very careful. So we see that in, in the New Testament. And then even after the New Testament, in those early centuries, its apostolic succession is very clear in the early fathers of the church and their writings. They write about this. Well, and I guess Judas was replaced with Matthias. Correct, right the there in the Acts of the Apostles. Okay. So that office that our Lord conferred upon them, and to Peter in particular in a special way as leader of the first of the Apostles, was really destined to be transmitted to their successors. So it's something permanent. The office is permanent in the order of bishops and the successor of Peter. The word magisterium is used to, to represent the hierarchy of the church. Is that popes and bishops? Is that called the magisterium or does that include priests? No, it's the bishops with the pope, but it's, it's actually referring to their teaching office. Okay. Magisterium means teacher. So when we speak of the magisterium, we're talking about their teaching office. And that's not the only office because we also have the office of sanctifying which we could call the priestly office of the bishops. And we have the, the governing office, that of being, you know, the shepherds in the church, the leaders of the community. But they have co-workers, and those are the priests. So the priests are on a lower level of the hierarchy. They do not have the fullness of the sacrament of holy orders only the bishops have the fullness of the sacrament of holy orders. Yet they receive from Christ himself through the hands of the bishop in ordination a share in the apostolic ministry. But it's not the fullness of the apostolic ministry. For example, priests cannot ordain, but bishops can. So the bishops okay. have the fullness of the sacrament of orders. Right. And then deacons are at a lower level of the hierarchy, 
But those are the three grades of holy orders, all three participating in the apostolic ministry, but the bishops are the successors of the apostles who have that full apostolic ministry. So the teachings that come from the successors of the apostles and yourself included, we have all kinds of different documents, especially like papal documents and the infallibility of the Pope. How are those documents that have come from popes, how is that different from sacred scripture as far as the authority goes? Uh, like, why, why are we not continuing to add to the Bible when there's new revelation to, to specifically to popes? There really is no new revelation since the death of the last apostle. So we and have... Why, full, why would that be? Because Christ is the fullness of the revelation of God, and they were the eyewitnesses of Christ. There is no need of any further revelation. Hmm. What you find in papal teaching, for example, or even of conciliar teaching is all an elaboration of what has been revealed. It's not new. It's um, further reflection under the guidance of the Holy Spirit on what has been revealed to us. So when we speak about, I think you mentioned papal infallibility mm -hmm. or the infallibility of, of the church, it's not that that's some new teaching created by the Catholic Church. No, it's, it's there in apostolic teaching, but it, it is, I mean, you are Peter on this rock, I will build my church, etc. The papal primacy is, is something right there in scripture. So that's not a new teaching. It's the church's reflection by the guidance of the Holy Spirit on what has been revealed. But it, it's not separate from what has been revealed, or it's not an addition. Mm-hmm. So far, we've been talking about Pope bishops being successors of the apostles, but according to the catechism, this, this apostolic mission is not just for bishops and popes. And I think, you know, we see this a lot of times with different things like um, you have priests, but then in a different way, we are all baptized as priests, prophet, and king. So there's like a, a priest, priest, and then there's a... <laughs> There's like a priestly vocation within the laity. And so I, I want to talk about how the laity live out an apostolic mission. We talked about being in an apostolic time. but And then also just kind of how all four of these marks fit together. So we'll talk about that in the second half of Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. What's the difference between Notre Dame Federal Credit Union and a bank? Well, banks are owned by investors looking to make a profit. Notre Dame FCU is different. We are a not-for-profit, member-owned cooperative. Our mission is to help our members improve their lives with products, services, and education. If we end up with too much money ourselves, we simply give it back to our members. Last year, over a million dollars. You already share our values. Why not share in our benefits? Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I'm Kyle Hyman here with our bishop talking about the fourth mark of the church. We talked about one holy Catholic, and now we're talking about the church being apostolic. 
And I think in the most literal sense, we're talking about the apostles and their successors. You, Bishop Bean, the successor of the apostles. You don't know which which apostle you, you are a successor oh, no. of. We, no one can really trace yeah. back. Only the Pope, I think, can, because you can trace <laughs> the bishops of Rome all the way back to Peter. But yeah. I think I have my Episcopal lineage, and I want to say I can go back to the 1300s. Okay. And I'm in the lineage of John Paul, because the— Bishop who ordained me was ordained by John Paul. So uh-huh. I can only go, but they didn't keep written records a lot in the first millennium. So, but I should bring that in sometime, show you my lineage that can go back at least to the Middle Ages. Yeah. Bishops are ordained by other bishops. Are, are they ever ordained by the Pope? Oh, yeah. Some bishops? Yeah, some okay. are. Many have been, yeah. Like the bishop who ordained me, Cardinal Regali, was ordained a bishop by the Pope. Okay. Yeah. That's okay. That's how you get back By to John Paul. Yeah. John Paul II. Well, I kind of talked a little bit about this idea of Radio the laity living out. At, what do we mean whenever we use that word? Church. Again, it, it, it's very, we'll it does apostolate. refer to apostolate because the laity are also sent. Okay. They're okay. sent to spread the kingdom of Christ over all the earth in their particular areas. You know, we're all called to spread the gospel. So, there is a share in the apostolate because notice we say the church is apostolic. So that uh, means the whole church. Hmm. Now, the church remains through the successors of Peter and the successors of the other apostles in communion in this exercise of the apostolate. So when we speak of the laity, they are in communion with the pope and the bishops. And therefore, if it's going to be an official Catholic apostolate, it has to have the approval of the bishop. But that's only if you're talking about something official, but even in unofficial ways, just in our in the everyday life of the laity, there is a call to spread the gospel, mm-hmm. to evangelize. And it's really important our everyone's union with Christ. I mean, he is the one who was sent by the Father. He sent the apostles. He sends us. That's part of our baptism and confirmation especially when you think about confirmation, receiving the power of the Spirit, for what? For the apostolate. Hmm. In other words, for bearing witness to Christ through our words and our actions. And the Eucharist strengthens us for this as well. The Holy Spirit strengthens us for the apostolate. We're nourished by the Eucharist so that we go forth from Mass, you know, to love and serve the Lord, to glorify the Lord by our lives, to announce the gospel and can begin just right in the own, in the family. Yeah. I mean, you as a father, you are exercising an apostolate in the home because you are teaching your children and you are raising them in, in the Catholic faith. Hmm. Would it be safe to say that everybody has at least an apostolate, if not many apostolates that it might be your family, your friends, coworkers, but then there might also be some kind of outreach, whether it be a ministry or uh, involvement with your church or, you know, St. Vincent de Paul Society or something like that, that, that on some level, we all have this apostolate and some people would have, I don't know, more, more clear or more like a part-time or full-time apostolate? Well, it would be kind of like, I guess I was thinking of the word official, for example. Okay. Redeemer Radio is a Catholic apostolate. Yeah. Okay, so it's it's spreading the gospel through 
radio and through the internet, et cetera, mm-hmm. through podcasts. Okay, in order to do that and have the Catholic name mm-hmm. and call yourselves a Catholic apostolate, you need the approval of the bishop. So oh, yeah. that's that's where it gets into that. You, know, you can't have everybody setting up a you know a corporation or a activity and call it Catholic, but they have to be in communion with mm. the successor of the apostles. They have to be in communion of faith and life with the church. That's why canon law says that no organization or or school or educational institution, whatever, can use that title Catholic without the approval of the bishop. Hmm. Do you ever deny approval? Um, yeah. Yeah. Because there has to be not not much. I mean, most times it's fine, but but if there's there was a situation where they really weren't in communion with all the teachings of the church mm-hmm. or their methods were contrary to a, a Christian charity, mm-hmm. and therefore I would not allow them to use the title Catholic. But that's that's kind of rare, you know. But but we have to have that assurance, you know. Like if they're going to use this name, Catholic, then they must be in communion, and that communion is not only in the faith, but also in love. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, you know, strategies or, or things that are not Christ-like and, and that shouldn't be carrying the name Catholic. Mm-hmm. I want to kind of talk about the four marks together before we do. Is there anything else on apostolic that, that we're missing out on? You think? No, I think we covered it pretty well. Again, Origin, teaching, and structure. That's a good thing to remember. Yeah. The catechism, first of all, I I think the catechism doesn't get the credit it deserves. I think a lot of times we think it's this really difficult and it's just like nobody reads the encyclopedia, right? <laughs> like, right, right. But it's such a great reference. And the, the paragraphs under apostolic, I think are really good. The, paragraph 863 says, indeed, we call an apostolate every activity of the mystical body that aims to spread the kingdom of Christ over all the earth, which just kind of opens it up to like, like this is, this is everything that we're doing as the church is we call an apostolate to spread the kingdom of Christ over all the earth. And then, and that's a quote from Vatican too, because it's in the decree on the laity where it uses that language, which is really important because one of the, primary teachings of the Second Vatican Council has to do with the laity and their participation, active participation in the mission of the church, hmm. which is, as the council says, spreading the kingdom of Christ right. over all the earth. The following paragraph, 864, says, but charity drawn from the Eucharist above all is always, as it were, the soul of the whole apostolate. Which I I think it's important for us to always put things back in the context of the Eucharist and how critical that is for our Christian life. But it's the soul of the whole apostolate. It's it's true. It's also the soul of the of the life of the bishop and priest too and deacon. Sure. It's yeah, I, I love that. The soul of the apostolate, you know, is a famous book as well, spiritual reading. Mm-hmm. And 
And I think that's important to remember. We're in this Eucharistic revival to right. really see the centrality of, of the Eucharist because the Eucharist really sends us on mission. That's why, you know, the word we call mass, okay, mass comes from misa in Latin. What the end of mass, the priest would say in Latin, ite misa est, go, you are sent. Mm -hmm. Misa means sent. So you're kind of like told to go forth as apostles, right? Okay, to go forth and and evangelize. So the the four marks: one holy, Catholic, apostolic. It's, we could add Eucharistic, mm. you know, as as a fifth. But really, I, I think all four of those do point back to the Eucharist. Mm -hmm. So I mean, anything that you would add to the four is is probably also in the four. Yeah, the Eucharist makes us one body in yeah. Christ. The Eucharist is obviously holy and sanctifies us, the grace of the Eucharist. Catholic, again, that whole notion of the universality of the church. And, you know, that's the whole church throughout the world is celebrating the Eucharist as the center of its life. And the Eucharist is celebrated by those who are in apostolic succession, the bishops and the priests who are his co-workers. So it's really, yeah, it brings all four marks of the church together. So anything else about the four marks that you hope that we get out of this conversation or, or that we take with us? They're all intimately connected and interrelated. And in some ways, it, it it was a little challenging to talk about one without talking about the <laughs> others. When we were just talking about apostolicity. I couldn't help but think apostolicity. of... Apostolicity. Yeah, the church yeah. being apostolic. Like apostolicity. That. You know, that's intimately connected to the oneness of the church. Mm -hmm. Because we are one and one through our structure. Okay, we're one in faith you know, the apostolic faith. We have this one origin in Christ and the apostles, the foundation of the apostles, but also one in our structure. In other words, there's no unity or there's no full unity unless you're united with those who are in apostolic succession with the bishops and then unity with the Pope, the successor of St. Peter. Mm -hmm. So oneness and apostolicity, unity and apostolicity, you know, it's kind of hard to distinguish them sometimes. Yeah. And, you know, we could talk about all the interrelationships, but that suffices. Anything that you would suggest as a way to keep this kind of in the forefront of our mind, like as we go through our daily lives or as we're discerning our vocation or as we're trying to, you know, share the faith with children, coworkers, siblings, any tips on how to incorporate these four marks? I think just keeping it in mind, the gift of the church and also the importance of the church and how important it is to love the church. Mm -hmm. This is the church Christ founded. Yeah, we're a church of sinners, no question. We all know that. But, you know, we've talked about the holiness of the church, the saints, etc. But even in our daily lives, to recognize that we're not just isolated individuals, we're members of this body, 
you know, the, the mystical body of Christ. And I think that's just very beautiful to keep in mind when we pray, realize that we're praying with the whole church. We are praying for the church and with the church, whether it's in the sacraments, the liturgy of the hours in particular, but even in our personal private prayers where we are speaking individually and personally with the Lord, we also are aware that we are also part of this body. We don't say my father, we say our father. Mm -hmm. Well, I don't know how many words are in the creed, but we just spent probably about three hours discussing four of them. (laughs) (laughs) But I do feel like now I'm going to be tempted. I probably can't do this at mass when we're reciting together, but when I'm saying the creed by myself, I feel like I'm going to slow down on those four words and really, Uh really think about that and reflect because now they have so much more meaning to yeah, me. Yeah, uh, and we could probably do that with a lot of prayers and a lot of the creed to um, to really realize that there's so much intentionality that goes behind things. Yes. That they weren't just like four words grasped out of the air. Like, how do we describe this church? Let's just, uh, how about these four? You know, but yeah. that it really is uh, integral to what we're, what we're saying that we believe in. Yeah, you know, I think we can be tempted to think of the uh, church merely as a um, like a social group or a, an institution. I mean, it is an institution, but in, in a merely institutional way. And we kind of lose sight of the mystery of the church. Mm-hmm. I mean, really, the church is a mystery. It's a mystery of communion. And I think when you reflect, like we have on the four marks of the church, you start having a deeper understanding of, of what the church is. Yeah. And I think it's very beautiful. Well, thank you for unpacking this for us. I know it's it's been enlightening for me, and I think it'll be very helpful for all the listeners as well. And again, if people missed any of the other episodes, you can find those at spokestreet.com slash askbishop. Got all four episodes talking about the four marks of the church as well as plenty of other episodes there. And also a form that you can submit questions if you have any questions for Bishop or suggestions for future topics. But before we go, could we get your Episcopal blessing? Sure. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now and forever. Our help is in the name of the Lord. Who made heaven and earth. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Bishop. You're welcome, Kyle. Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes is brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. This show is a production of the Spoke Street Media Podcast Network. For more great podcasts, visit Spokestreet.com.